Good evening and you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you are safe and well as you tune in this week. Well, it's the time of year when a lot of us start thinking about our gardens and planning ahead for some summer colour. You might even have noticed, I know the daffodils seem to appear out of nowhere this year, but there's more spring colour coming as the weeks move on and if we're trying to be more environmentally friendly and maybe plant some pollinator friendly plants in our gardens wouldn't it be lovely to be able to pop out to the garden and collect a few bits and make our own bouquet instead of having to go and you know pop to the shops and buy imported flowers so not that I'm doing anybody uh, anybody's business down or anything like that but it would be nice it'd be handy you know if you had somebody popping around unannounced to make that the, the house look a bit fresher sticking a few um, nice flowers in a vase by the hall door we're joined now by Anna Brown Anna is of Big Sky Flowers and also part of the um, the Irish collective of flower farmers of, of Ireland Anna you're most welcome to the programme thank you Ashley. thanks for having me now, Anna, I um, took an ocean last autumn and planted a whole load of spring bulbs and um, they're slowly but surely coming up. Um, I have noticed there's um, some being dug up. I'm choosing to believe it's birds that are doing it. And I don't want to hear anything different. But, uh, you know, it is nice to see the colour coming after all these grey, dark evenings in particular in recent months. But, you know, it's hard to know what we should be planting. It's hard to know where maybe the bulbs or the seeds might be come from. It all seems like a bit of a minefield to me, to be perfectly honest. And it's hard to know where to start if, like me, you'd like some summer colour in the garden. Yeah, so, I mean, you can certainly go and buy flowers. You can buy plants and stuff. But a really inexpensive way to have loads of plants and loads of plants you can share with your family and friends is to grow them from seed. So now is the perfect time to start thinking about growing flowers from seed. Okay. Um, you can, there's lots of flowers that you can grow right now. Um, they would be the hardy annuals. So they, they can tolerate a bit of frost. Um, you can sow them directly in the ground. And I think one of the best tips I ever heard was if the weeds are starting to grow, that means the soil is warm enough to plant seeds in. But personally, okay, yeah. yeah. But personally, I like to plant them inside. You can use something as simple as the plastic container your grapes came in from the supermarket, a bit of peat-free compost and sprinkle your seeds on top, um, put a bit of compost on top of them. Depending on the size of the seed, the more the, the bigger the seed, the more compost you need to add. And then sit back and wait, um, keep them warm. Once you see a bit of green showing, you probably want to get them outside because if they're inside, the warmth will make them grow faster, but they won't have enough light. No matter how good of a window you have, you don't have the 360 or whatever degrees of sunlight we have at this part of time of the year. So the ones I would suggest for now would be things like sweet pea. Mm-hmm. And they're very hardy. Once they germinate and pop up, once you get the green shoots, they get them straight outside um, and they'll do very well. And they're just such a gorgeous plant to have. You can grow them up a fence and the scent is amazing. And what's great about them is the more you cut them, the more they grow. So like most of the plants I'm talking about today would be annuals. And the point of annuals is that they want to make seeds so they can have more plants next year. But if you keep picking the flowers, they think, oh, must put more flowers out, must make seeds. So the more flowers you pick, the more annuals, the more flowers you get, which is a wonderful thing. It's that abundance of nature is absolutely fantastic. So um, things like sweet pea and calendula 
would be great things to plant right now. Um, there's other ones that are half hardy annuals and you want to wait a bit of time for that because they won't handle the frost. So the same thing, you're putting them inside in compost, but maybe wait until the end of April for that. That would be ones like um, French marigold or cosmos or sunflowers. Okay, okay. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're a little bit more tender. Yeah. They're not native to Ireland. So, you know, you, you get them, you get them out, but they, they, they'll, they'll catch up once they get out. They're fast growers. Sweet pea are a lovely one to grow if you've kids in your life. They're, there's, there's something about, they're, they're very dramatic when they do eventually bloom. Um, the scent. Absolutely. The scent is stunning. I tried, um, I didn't do it last year now, but I did the year before and I got um, old toilet, the, in, the insides toilet rolls yeah. and um, cut them up. Now, and I'm, I'm telling you this because I think on in hindsight, I probably kept them inside a bit too long where I was trying to keep them watered and the it not that it went mouldy at the bottom, but it kind of went a bit funky looking. But that's, that's actually okay. I mean, the toilet okay. paper is, toilet rolls are perfect because with sweet pea, they don't like their roots to be disturbed. So if you can get them into the ground and whatever you grew them in, toilet roll insert is a perfect thing. But if things start to break down, you get a bit of fungus, you get a bit of mould, that's all just nature doing its thing. Okay. You know, the thing you want to look out for in sweet peas is if they get too leggy. Um, so, you know, if they're very kind of tall and kind of falling over, that's not a good sign. The other thing you want to do with them is you want to pinch out the tips and that encourages more side shoots to come. So you get a bushier plant, so you get more flowers, stronger plant, all good. But yeah. I know, hold on now. What exactly just pinching out the tips in right? right. <laughs> I mean, you, you wait until it's got, you know, it's grown up a bit. Maybe it's like six inches tall or so. You just take off the top bit. You can use the scissors. You can use your finger. You're basically just saying to the plant, okay, you've stopped going upwards now. Start going out at the sides. So, okay. you know, so you're just taking, it's called the apical bud, but we don't need to be technical. It's that's the top part of the plant. If you take out more than the bud, it's okay. Scissors will work. It's just that you have basically said to the plant, stop going up, go out. Same as what happens to the hedges, actually. We see that in the hedges mm. at this time of the year. People are trimming their hedges back. That actually makes the hedges grow better laterally and less going up. So, Or even like I know um, my own hairdresser is a big fan of giving me a trim to make sure my overall head of hair is, is healthy. And well, I still have a good head of hair. So, you know, I assume she's right. Um, right. <laughs> okay. So you you pinch, uh, pinching of the tips, that, that's important. So... Wait for sweet pea. For sweet pea, okay. Yeah, and they can and they can be planted inside now, um, even over maybe over the long bike holiday weekend. You might have yep. a bit back with the kids. What else could we just, be tackling? Just to say one more tip on sweet pea: if you soak the seeds overnight, they'll germinate more quickly. So it's a big, hard seed. Mm-hmm. So when you put that into the ground, if it's not wet enough, it'll take it a while to germinate. But if you soak them overnight in some water, you'll have a much easier time for germination. So yes, okay. we're going to do it with the kids to the night before, get them soaked and then the next day work away with your toilet roll inserts. Fantastic. So, um, and that should give us, and like Sweet Pea, as you say, they're so easy to like, to wind around fence posts or like you can get those, um, those crevices. Yeah. 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 Um, And they're really, they are, they make a huge impact and they're lovely if you bring them into the house. Scent of them is absolutely stunning. What else could we be trying our hand at? So can I just rewind you a little bit just to give a little bit more of the reason of why it's good to grow from seed? Okay. I think that's important for us to think about. So if we think about um, shipping plants full of in pots full of compost, from a carbon footprint point of view, you've brought a lot less weight to your house. 
when you grow the plants from seed. You've, you've, you've moved the compost to the house, maybe you've used something recycled to grow them in. But from a carbon footprint point of view, growing seed is one of the best ways. The second point for biodiversity point of view is that sometimes people who grow plants use systemic pesticides on them. And systemic means that they're actually in the plant forever. Mm -hmm. So when you buy a plant from a garden center, you don't know if they've used those or not. And they probably don't know themselves if they bought them from somewhere else. By growing on them yourself, you know you haven't used any systemic pesticides. And those pesticides will actually affect the bees that come to take pollen from those plants. So growing from yourself is a really good way to ensure that you actually have the healthiest plants that will best support biodiversity. And since this is a Let's Go Green show, that was important to mention those things. Oh, no, because that's okay. kind of the reason of what you're doing. Yeah. Do we need, like, Anna, I know some people, like, are very lucky and they have a lot of space, um, but not everybody is that lucky. Not everybody, like, in my case, I have a balcony, you know? Yeah. Like, is it achievable to start from seed or do we need... Uh, you know the way you see on English TV shows frequently every, every second person seems to have a potting shed you know do yeah. we need a dedicated space to do this kind of thing or can we do it on the kitchen no. table no I mean like I, I have a big garden but most of the work at this time of the year happens in front of the patio doors in the back in, in, in my kind of in my dining room and my, my kitchen um, and really if you've got a balcony you can have a huge impact so things like the sweet pea growing up you know a trellis but something like calendula, which is a really beautiful plant. It's it's an annual. Well, it's an annual here. Um, natively, it's it's a perennial. But it, it produces these masses of yellow flowers over and over. It likes to be a bit dry. So a balcony can be a dry place and maybe a windy place. And the calendula can handle that really well. Um, and, you know, if you're growing stuff inside and you put it outside, that's perfectly fine. You know, if your balcony gets a bit of light, then go with it. If your balcony is dark, there might be a bit different. Matthew, you might just want to grow foliage there. Mm -hmm. um, so it might be a little bit harder to get the flowers. But certainly you don't need a lot of space to do this. In fact, sometimes the less space you have, the better, because you can care for that space well. If you've got a huge amount of space, you kind of get overwhelmed because you want to put this here and that there and trees here. And, you know, I've actually done the most productivity in, in small spaces because you can get keep it well fertilized. You can keep it weeded. You can mind it well. I would say the smaller the space in some ways, the easier for you. When you say keep it well fertilized in a, in a small space, what what how exactly would you go about doing that? So, if if you've got a balcony and you don't have any composting happening, if if you're not composting, maybe you are composting, but if you're not composting, then you can add seaweed. So there's a great website I can mention here called BetterPlants.ie, and they're a local Midlands business, and he will ship you a you know container of seaweed that you can add. So you're kind of you want to give your plants not just wet, like you don't want to give them just drink. You're not giving them Coke. You mm. want to give them like a feed of porridge. So um, the seaweed gives you both the minerals they need that dissolve in the water, in the in the soil, but it also gives you a bit of fibre. So the plants need that organic matter. And the more living things you have in your soil, the better. And, you know, if you're feeding them, then obviously they're going to be alive and they're helping your plants take that nutrition in. If you can get your hands on some farmyard manure, that especially if it's organic, that's well rotted, you can buy chicken manure, I think, in, in the shops. Any of those kind of fertilizers where you're giving the plant both, you know, eating and drinking, not just like the bottles of of stuff. Um, to me, you know, you're, you're feeding the soil and not and not just the plant. And is there, a, like, is this the time of year to be doing that kind of thing? Like, I I have it in my head and I don't know if I'm right that you you feed while the plant is growing, but maybe you leave it be during the winter months when it's dormant. 
Yes, that's correct. So, um, you know, if you think about um, the trees lose their leaves and those leaves lie on the ground and then they start to disappear around the spring and that's the worms bringing those leaves down and feeding the plants with them. Same for us. This time of the year, and I mean, you know, you, you know, teenagers are growing, they need to get a lot of food. If they stop growing, you don't give them so much. So plants are the same, just don't have as long of a life cycle. So when they're growing a lot, they need food to help them do that. And the way that you know they're not fed well enough is that they have, if the leaves start to yellow, would be a sign that maybe that the plant isn't getting enough food. That, that's usually the most obvious one. Um, but, you know, fast growing isn't necessarily the best thing you want. You want kind of it to grow nice and slowly, but to be nice, strong and green looking and healthy. And and the way to do that is the organic fertilizer, the, the, the organic matter added to the soil. So, you know, if you had seen somebody sweep leaves into a corner and they were sitting there, that would be something you could add to your soil. Mm-hmm. You know, I in September, I'm always people don't, you know, leave the leaves. But sometimes I know at my house, um, some of them just kind of get caught in corners and the worms get in there and they make really beautiful soil out of it. That would be a great resource for someone to use. You know, to be a bit messy is not a bad thing. So now that's left there, I can go and pick it up and put it into my plants. I could feel the hairs go up at the back of my neck when he said to be a bit messy is not a bad thing because... It, that is the point, really, isn't it? Like we've yeah. been we've been trained by Hollywood, by marketing, whatever you want to blame, to have these manicured gardens that are Pinterest and Instagram worthy spaces. But we do need to relax a little bit around it all, don't we? We do. We need to relax quite a bit because the more you tidy up, um, the more you take away from that whole circle of life that's happening in your garden. So in, in you know, in, in the September or whatever, the winter, I have lots of stalks left upright. And there's usually, those are hollow stalks. And living in those hollow stalks are the the ladybirds and their larvae that will sort out my green fly come the spring when the green fly starts to. If I had taken those stalks away and killed them, those ladybirds would all be gone and it would hard, be hard to restart that population. Same with the soil organisms, like the whole leaves and things like that. You know, the more that you leave per, for plants or for the microorganisms and the worms to eat, the better quality your soil is. You know, if and if you've got the grass cut within an inch of its life, you're not going to have a great situation there either. You want to leave a bit of room for things to live there. You know, we, we share this space with lots of other non-human living creatures. And, you know, we might think of some of them as bad, but there's actually a balance that'll be reached. So, like, I, I wouldn't go out and spray green fly. I would wait um, for the ladybirds to 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 be a lot. I mean, what's the word to to multiply? Um, so if I kill the green fly straight away, the ladybirds never have a chance to build up a big population. So you know, I, I'm basically leaving the green fly to make a big party for the ladybirds at the start of the season. Then I've got loads of ladybirds, and the green fly are sorted out for the rest of the season. If though you go out and I don't know, your beloved roses are covered in aphids, you know. It it can be hard, I suppose. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You, you put all this effort in and now you're seeing that it's actually turning yeah. into food as opposed and, to flowers. Yeah, and I suppose if you if you go out there and act immediately, you have stopped the cycle that will leave your roses healthy and clear in the future. So if you go and spray the roses with, you know, something not harmful like washing up liquid or something more harmful, you've basically taken away all the ladybirds' food. So how can the ladybirds you know, form a big population to help you later if you've done that to them. Yeah, okay. 
Okay. So and, and we're seeing here. And we are seeing less ladybirds around. It's, it's you know, but if they kill them the aphids that they eat, then what do we expect, you know? Yeah. Okay. And if then, you know, we've tried the calendula, which I've never heard of before, and I'm going to have to Google after this conversation. So it might have been called pot marigold or English marigold when you heard it. There's a couple of different names okay. for it. Okay. Yeah. So we've we've we started on growing from seed. Are there any native Irish seeds we should be giving yeah. out to? So if you were to look at either seed savers or brown envelope seeds, those are two companies that save Irish seeds. And the benefit to Irish seeds is that you actually know they'll grow well in Ireland. A lot mm. of the seed companies are importing seeds from, you know, Eastern Europe or whatever. And nothing wrong with the seeds, but those seeds haven't grown in the environment that we have that's kind of wet and windy and cold and changeable and hot and whatever. So if you buy seeds that have been saved in Ireland or you save your own seeds, it's even better. Then you know the seeds that you have will actually do really well because the plants they came from did really well. So naturally enough, the seeds will do very well. And, you know, it's also from a carbon footprint point of view, better to be, you know, buying locally so they're not coming too far. Another company I could mention is Cedaholic. They do import seeds, but they're an Irish company, so you're not getting things from too far away. And they're very well named because they've got an incredible selection. It's a dangerous website to go on to. <laughs> but Brown Envelope, and I suppose Brown Envelope and Seed Savers wouldn't be so focused on flowers, but Cedaholic definitely would have a lot of flowers. So, you know, it's one of those things you probably will buy 20 packets of seeds and maybe only plant five of them. But <laughs> the idea of these 20 flowers growing in your garden is something that, you know, inspires you this time of the year. And then, like I know, and I think I've probably mentioned it on the show before, but my grandmother w- was known. She used to come to my house when we were on when we went to the summer holidays. She would come with her sister and my other granny to our house to mind our house on their holidays. And um, the neighbours would always comment afterwards that, "Oh, your granny was visiting. We saw her taking clippings and cuttings from the hedge." And she she would she'd anywhere she went, she'd take cuttings, and she had great. Uh, green fingers and that she could always get them to grow and she had a fabulous selection herself that I think is maybe an art form that has died out a little bit so if you wanted to try and maybe maybe your friend has l- some lovely plants maybe some nice hydrangeas or geraniums like yep. I, I can't like, how do we do that how do we go about doing that so the, 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 the terms for those would be hardwood cuttings or softwood cuttings and geraniums would be something you'd softwood cutting. So you can look up, you'll find, you can Google, you can find a YouTube video that tells you how to take softwood cuttings. The same kind of this time of year, we're getting into the softwood cutting time, that's kind of a spring summer thing. The hardwood cuttings are more of a, we're just kind of leaving that period. You want to do that when the plants are dormant. But like, for example, when you're pruning your black currants, all the things you prune off can become hardwood cuttings that you may then root. Um, and, you know, you stick it into a bit of soil, soil mixed with sand, so it drains well. You put a plastic bag over it, you walk away and leave it for a year, you come back and there's loads of healthy plants. So it does take a while as well, but it's a great way to get more plants. And once again, if you had a plant that you know you haven't treated with any pesticides or herbicides, you have a plant that's very healthy coming from that. So, and carbon footprint is very tiny. Um, The one bad thing about that cloning, which is what you're doing there because it's an identical plant, is that if you want to have plants that will resist disease, you want that genetic variation that you get from sexual reproduction. Uh So... So that's what the seeds give you. They give you a bit mm-hmm. of variation. So, you know, we have this ash dieback right now in Ireland. So you wouldn't be taking ash cuttings because everything that you have would have the ash dieback. But there's a hope that at some point some ash trees will reproduce and they'll be resistant to the dieback. 
And so we're kind of watching all the little ashes that are growing to see if there's some that actually will be resistant. And there's the ones that will come on in the future that will kind of, you know, recover the ash population here. Does that make sense? It does indeed. And like something like, I know myself, I've done the geranium cuttings myself, um, a moment of nostalgia last year at some stage. And all of a sudden, like my mum's garden and pots are full of geraniums that I actually grew from cuttings. It's, it's not that hard. And again, no. it's another one that kids would really get a kick out of doing because it's so simple and the, the reward doesn't take that long if you, no. you know, if you keep an eye on it. Um, so it is, and like, like YouTube has, a, you, you could put a search word into, into YouTube and spend about six hours. But simple, like how to do a cutting on, on YouTube and you, it's mm-hmm. very an, a very easy process to follow. I um, I was told, Anna, that when I took the cuttings from the geraniums to leave them soaking in water for 24 hours before putting them into the yeah. compost. Um, yeah, yeah. And look, I don't know if it's right or wrong or an old wives tale, but it did work. <laughs> so, well, like, you know, I guess the, the thing about cutting, especially softwood cuttings, is that they can get dehydrated very easily. So... Either you might do, you might hydrate the plant 24 hours before, so it's full of, or you might put them in water for 24 hours. And then when you put them into the compost, you make sure that there's, it's nice and moist and put a plastic bag over it. Maybe cut off some of the leaves so there's not too much transpiration going on. But basically, you're trying to keep the plant safe and not dried out until the roots start to form and bring water up. Okay. So that's the principle underlying what was going on there. Okay. And looking ahead to the summer then, if we, if we kind of, give these things a try like we might not have the stereotypical English country garden like full of colour in every corner because that takes time to build up but there will be a huge sense of pride in having grown these beautiful flowers from seed yeah I mean you know you go out there the most you know the most low maintenance way to do it would be to get a load of seeds scatter them around your bare soil walk away and hope for the best and, you know, you might actually have a hugely colourful, gorgeous garden because of that, if things go well. For me, I like to take a bit, because I'm growing flowers for a living, mm-hmm. I like to take a bit more care and make sure that I have things to plant out. And also I have a lot of slugs. So um, the best way to combat the slugs is to put plants in that are a good size. The slugs can't eat them all. So you, you expect that there'll be 10% beaten by the slugs. That's fine. That's your cut. That's nature's cut. That's okay. But um, sometimes when you grow from seed and they're tiny, slugs get everything because they're all very tiny. So... Anyhow, but it is it is possible to get an incredibly colourful garden that looks well, but just by throwing seeds around. And in fact, if you grew poppies this year um, and you did nothing other than scrape the soil a bit next year, you might actually get poppies to come back. So one of the things that's good to know is what the tiny plants look like. And that way you can recognise the volunteers, as they're called. The plant is telling you, I like growing here. I'm going to grow again. And the trick is not to think that's a weed. That's yeah. actually a poppy coming. I'm going to leave you because you're going to be beautiful. So there's, that, there's a lot you can do with, you know, if you know what you're doing with doing less. And poppies, can, and I take it then that you can grow poppies from, from seed then here in Ireland as well? Absolutely. Well, if you've ever driven down a new road, you've seen poppies mm-hmm. because when, when they dig up the roads, they bring poppy seeds to the surface and poppy seeds need light to germinate. So when you drive on and bit of new road the NRA has done you'll see poppies the first year you won't see them the second year because it's they you know they haven't dug it up the second year but if you dig any piece of land you probably find poppies because the seeds are tiny but they're very sturdy and until they get light they won't germinate so you can grow poppies here it's it's one of the things you have to soak direct you can't really sow it in a, in a but it's it's a hardy annual they're fabulous 
the seed heads are gorgeous and they'll reseed themselves throughout the garden regularly. And the colour when it, on a nice summer's yes. day, poppies are stunning. I remember my old secondary school had um, purple poppies, which I've not mm-hmm. quite seen since. Um, yeah, there's yeah. all kinds of amazing colours, kind of mm-hmm. greys and mauves. The ones I have now that I love are kind of a pink. They're kind of a pink going to purple, but the red ones are gorgeous too. Um, and, you know, once you get them in there and like, you know, be untidy, leave the pods, let them shake around, you'll have poppies forever. You'll be cursing me potentially in a few <laughs> years time. But, um, yeah, no, they're, 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 they're a great one to grow. Now, we should say, um, Anna, that is typically next Sunday is or next weekend is the weekend when lots of flowers are indeed bought because it is Mothering Sunday or, or Mammy's Day, as it's called in, in my house. Um um, and I believe it's, you know, a very busy time for florists like yourselves. Yes. So if I'm lucky, I'll have flowers. And if I'm not lucky, I won't. And that's just depending on Mother's Day falls and how the weather goes. I may have lots to give people bouquets or I may have none. Um, so I generally offer as well a subscription. So you can buy a subscription for your mother so that she can get four weeks of flowers later in the year when there's lots of flowers and be reminded of your, your love every week for a month. So that's, that's one option. Um, also the dried flower option. You know, the dried flowers last a really long time, just like your love. Um, and you can, you can also give somebody a gift of a course, a gift of experience rather than stuff. I think that's probably something you talk about probably a lot in this, yeah. this show. So I do a lot of courses um, in the refill Mullingar and um, I have one right before Easter that's going to be a jam jar flower workshop. So you come bring a jam jar, I bring lots of flowers and we fill them up together and you bring home some gorgeous arrangements of locally grown, sustainable, fragrant flowers for Easter. So that's another option for Mother's Day that you can have something to look forward to with your mother, go with her to an experience and uh, enjoy the flowers then again. Well, and that's all available on your social medias on uh, Big Sky Flowers, Anna? It is. And refillmill.ie is where a lot of that stuff will be posted as well. Well, you've certainly got me thinking today, Anna. Thank you so much for all your uh, tips and tricks. And hopefully we have gardens full of colour and wonderful bees as well this summer after um, listening back, I think, and taking notes from our chat this evening. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Ashley. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Well, I hope you are enjoying our show so far this evening. And I'm wondering, how have you been managing with the inclement weather recently? Like, I know it's not unheard of for us to have this kind of weather in March, but has it been a challenge for you, particularly with the electricity costs, the gas costs, the utility bills that we're all facing at the moment. Well, on next week's show, we're going to be talking to a Let's Go Green listener about why he decided to have solar panels installed on his home. And he's going to tell us how much money he's managed to save and indeed earn as a result of the electricity being funneled through from the sun through his new electric solar panels, I should say, over 
over the past 12 months. That's on next week's episode of the show. And don't forget, I'm always looking for you to get in contact with me here on Let's Go Green. You can do so on midlands103.com. Click on the on air team. Look for my name, Ashling O'Rourke, and there's a contact Ashling button there for you. Well, coming up after the break, we are going to be talking about a new competition that is encouraging us all to do our bit for the environment. Could you be our next climate hero? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you heard about this new competition that's been announced? Well, to find out more, we're joined by Hans Zomer of Global Action Plan. Hans, you are very welcome to the programme. Thanks so much for having me, Ashton. I'm really enjoying being here. So Hans, first things first, for people who haven't heard of Global Action Plan, what exactly does your organisation do? Yeah, we're an environmental uh, organisation based in Ballymun. We we were formed and, and born in Ballymun and we're very proud to be from there, but we have a national programme. Um, and we're an environmental organisation, but we're different from most others. We don't do conservation uh, we don't run projects that way. We don't do lobbying and advocacy either. What we do is we focus on behavior change. So we help people make small changes to their lifestyles and to their daily habits um, to discover how they can really make significant impact on uh, on society by making small changes in our day-to-day life and our, our day-to-day choices. So that's really Global Action Plan is is a behaviour change organisation. That's fascinating. And it is, like, one of the reasons I was hired to do this show was to help get people thinking about the kind of everyday changes that we can all make and have a little bit of a difference that's incremental and hopefully helps combat uh, the effects of climate change. But... I think it's fair to say that for an awful lot of people, the climate crisis is an overwhelming idea. And we have a tendency, maybe because it seems so big and so out of our control, to not bury our heads in the sand, but either get very stressed out about it or feel helpless. So like, what are the kinds of things we could be doing? Well, I'm really happy that you use that word overwhelming because it, that's a word that I use a lot as well. Um, yes, I mean, the scale of these problems are so enormous and the, the complexity of them is also really overwhelming. So it's easy to feel that you, me as individuals, we we really don't matter in the scheme of things. And actually, this leads to what I call the spiral of inaction. Um, I feel that I can't make a difference. So when I meet you on the street or in the pub or wherever, I don't talk to you about my concerns or the things I might be doing or the things I might be considering to do differently. So you don't hear me talk about climate change. So you assume that I'm not interested in it. And whereas you are maybe personally very concerned, but you feel that I'm not sharing those same concerns. So you don't talk about it either. And this spiral of of silence continues. And as a result also... There's a spiral of inaction because I don't feel, I don't see the, the day-to-day things that you are doing to try and minimize your impact on the environment. So I, again, assume that you're not interested, that you're doing nothing. Um, and so this is, the, the, we, we sort of all create the impression that all of us are alone and we're wondering about this. So we might as well not do anything because nobody else cares after all. But actually, what we're trying to do is reverse that spiral and say, well, actually... All of us 
at moments that maybe not all the time, but we share, we have a concern about the environment, about the climate change, and we don't really know where to start. We want to do something, but we might feel alone. So that's exactly what we're trying to do is, well, look, actually, there are lots of little things that you can do, and they do make a difference. So you, in your intro, you mentioned that we're launching a new national competition, a uh, climate competition. So a competition in which we, participants are going to try and reduce their carbon footprint. And the, the team that uh, succeeds in reducing their footprint by the most, they are the winners of this inaugural national competition. And what it does, it, um, it uses an online app that we have. Uh, and that app, translates small little actions that you log. So today I did this, did the other, and it translates it into numbers of kilograms or grams of CO2 emissions avoided. And then it's actually what happens is really interesting thing. So these little actions that they're so small and embarrassingly small and certainly not the sort of things that you would brag about saying, oh, I'm so great because I took a shorter shower today or I ate a vegetarian meal or I cycled to work. Actually, when you convert that in kilograms of CO2 saved, it adds up remarkably quickly. So um, late earlier this year, we, or la- no, sorry, late last year, we're in 23 now. Late last year, we ran a competition with a bunch of uh, small uh, medium enterprises in County Kildare. And on average, people in the, in the competition that lasted two weeks, they saved about 150 kilograms of CO2. Now, I don't know about you, most people don't know what that means. So that's, that's the equivalent just, of... Yeah. Yeah, it's like, equi- 150 kilos is approximately the amount of CO2 you uh, emit um, by flying from here to Amsterdam, say. Okay. Um, okay. But, but even, that, even the then, one, you need it. That's the one thing that I have to say that really bugs me because um, communications is, is, is my passion. And it really bugs me that we haven't, I think, in this country simplified the conversation around climate change enough we i I'd, I'd love to see some kind of plain english you know come into all of this conversation so like you're talking about carbon footprint there and but what is you know what is a car- carbon footprint and, and why is it important okay well you know ireland is one of the most uh, climate polluting countries in the eu we're sort of third most polluting country uh, and per capita, per person, we emit about 12 tons of CO2 each per year. Um, that's an enormous amount of, of uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, but so, and we do that through the stuff we buy, uh, the way we heat our homes, the way we drive everywhere. Um, essentially, as ordinary citizens, we have four main ways in which we we contribute to climate change. It's our transport, it's our energy use, it's our food, and it's our and the things we purchase, like our clothes and everything. Uh, obviously, you can't avoid all that, but it is about being aware which of those things that you do have the most impact. So, and and actually, most most of us actually deep down inside we know this. Uh, we know that driving around the place is not a good thing. Um, we know that eating uh, meat every day is not a good thing. It's not even good for our health, but certainly it contributes massively to the greenhouse gas emissions. Um, So our climate competition really focuses on those four areas and gives people a a menu of about 40 actions that they can say, okay, I'm taking that today and I'm logging that as as an action I took. So 
for instance, uh, if you skip a, a day that you don't take a shower, you, you know you can log that and say, okay, I had a body wash this today, and that that equivalent equates to X amount of CO two saved. Uh, I ate vegetarian today, X amount of CO two saved. Um, I didn't actually buy anything today, or I repaired something today. All of those little things, they have a kilogram um, of CO2 equivalent. Um, now, to, we are also very aware that we want to be, um, you know, not infringing on people's uh, pr- privacy. So, for instance, you can log that you cycled to work today. Now, we're not going to ask you where do you live and where is your work and how, calculate how exactly how many kilometers you cycled. We'll just take a, an Irish average uh, of a commute and, and uh, so assume that you have done an, an average commute. Um, that's just uh, one way, sort of one of the compromises we have to make. Uh, it's definitely science-based, but it's not super adequate at, uh, at a personal level. But, you know, it's a, it's a competition among averages, I suppose. And I think, like, the competition part of it is clever because I think we are a competitive people. We, we like to do better than our neighbours, particularly at a community level. So... Like, is this, how is this, um, is this community as in family, a school, or is it by county? How does that part of it all work? It's smaller than that. It's really, it's anybody who feels that they are a team. Um, so as an organization, we tend to work with community groups. So tidy towns, committees, uh, local sports club, whatever. Um, so those are the organizations we have in mind. But if you want to enroll as a, as a neighborhood group or a walk, walking group or uh, whatever you know that uh, we're not going to police that we're just going to say you need you need to be a group because the other thing about it is that we want you to be a team uh, you're absolutely right I think Irish people love competitions um, but there's also a, a reason why we want people in teams A you can egg each other on um, because you can see how your other team members are doing and then whether you're beating them uh, but also this is about breaking habits and building new habits and we're running it over two weeks because that's that's just long enough to start developing new habits. Um, and w- we all know that if we are trying to break a bad habit, we need peer support. If I'm trying to give up smoking, it helps if my family members also aren't smoking. And if they tell me occasionally, oh, keep it up, you're doing well, etc. So that's the same dynamic that we know in behavior change is required. So when you're trying to learn new behavior, it's good to be in a team. So that's you know, uh, yes, it's fu- it's a fun competition among teams, but it's also it makes sense from a sort of a scientific uh, point of view that if you if you're supported by your peers, mm-hmm. you'll do better. Because we all know, like anyone who has tried to get fit at any stage, that if you have maybe an exercise buddy or even an accountability buddy at work to make sure that you don't buy that um, extra cup of coffee that you don't really need, and you want you're trying to save money at work, you know to have somebody working alongside with you and giving them permission to say, well, you asked me to to tell you that you bought three cups of coffee exactly. this week and, and you're only supposed to buy two. You know, that works. And, and as you say, the, the science backs that up. So then how do people go about taking part? Um, is it just simply downloading the app? Actually, it's a, it's not quite an app. It's an online platform. We uh, So we want people to sign up through a website called climateheroes.ie and if you go on there you put your details on we'll get in touch and we'll let you know how it works we'll give you a code 
Uh, we'll ask you who's in your team and how many people, etc. And we'll, we'll teach you also how to use the app and the, or the platform. Um, and it starts on the 22nd of April, uh, runs for two weeks. But so in the next couple of weeks, we will be signing up more and more community groups all over Ireland. Uh, and you'll, you know, you'll see how you're doing as the, as the challenge uh, unfolds. So every, every participating team gets a, a dashboard and you can see your own successes and you can see how you're rating against everybody. So it's a, it's a, a real life, uh, real time competition. Um, and we'll also do a little bit of, uh, support, you know, we have lots of tech support, but also we, we teach people a little bit about the, the topics. The app itself has an educational component as well. You can, lots of suggestions for further reading, etc. And we'll talk people through, uh, you know, as the challenge unfolds, we can say, hey, hold on, this is interesting. You're, you, many people are logging X activities, but they're not really logging activity Y. How how come? What, what's happening, etc. Um, so, long and short, uh, climateheroes.ie, log your interests, say, I have a group, uh, group should be at least five, five or ten people, but not bigger than fifty, because then um, it gets very hard for the team lead. Um, because again, I, I talked about averages. Uh, the winners are the. It's not necessarily a bigger group that makes it easier to win, because we take your per per participant mm-hmm. uh, savings. So if you have a team member who's not participating, you're automatically, um, you know going down in the ranking so you make sure you only sign up team members that actually are going to you know give it a real good go and then now i know this is about doing our bit for the environment but uh is there an award at the end that's a very good question uh (laughs) there will be prizes now i uh we're a charity we're not going to give great great big prizes it's really about the uh the honor uh, of being Ireland's first ever winner of a national climate competition, so you'll bring, you'll be in the history books. Um, but it will, there'll be also symbolic prizes, yeah. And we should say this is a thirty-two county initiative. This is a, a cross-border initiative, which is very new as well. Like I, or not new, but it's something we haven't really heard many events like this for for quite a number of years now at this stage. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, the invitation is to all your listeners. Uh, you know, form a group, sign up through climateheroes.ie and, you know, we'll take it from there. Um, we've, we've run the competition with businesses uh, in various parts of Ireland and it's been incredibly successful. Um, pe- yeah, people responded well to the fun side of the competition, but actually also they got quite... Um, uh, we were actually surprised about how long people stuck with it and how much they really... Uh, you could see them, you know increase their their co2 savings as the com- the campaign went on so it, it actually works and um so i talked about the 12 tons of co2 that we um each of us emit per year um but we've calculated that the, the people in kildare who ran it there for you know, three ta- three challenges for two weeks so if they kept up the activities of the two weeks and had kept that up for the 52 weeks of the year that 150 kilos is almost 4,000 kilos that they would have saved. So, in other words, if everybody in Ireland did the same thing as those people in Kildare did and kept it up for the year, we would have reduced Ireland's CO2 emissions by a third. A whopping 33% of our national emissions would have gone down by simply by doing really small things like changes in diet, changes in the way we commute to work, 
you know, not driving to the gym or the or the supermarket, but the walking or cycling or whatever. Really small, manageable deductions. None of these things are extremely difficult or taxing, and none of them really cost you any money. Um, they're just actions that each that you and I can take every day uh, and really make a significant collective difference. When I was an undergraduate, I was very priv- privileged to be sent on a semester abroad to Melbourne, Australia. And when we all arrived, you know, all the foreigners in for the um, orientation session, we were all given this tiny, tiny little, um, though it was plastic, but an egg timer with a suction cup at the back of it for the shower. And it was for to encourage us all to take a four minute shower because at the time Australia was in drought. And I know that's continued since, unfortunately. But, you know, we did get a kick as students out of, well, did you did you beat the timer in the shower this morning? You know, and it was it was just a little bit of competition and there was no prizes back then. But so I can see how something like this um, will definitely work. And I know we'll be hoping to, to share with our listeners that I hope our listeners, if you do get involved, that you get in touch with us here on midlands103.com. You can go on to your on-air team, look for my name, Ashling O'Rourke, and hit that message button. And I want to see what you're doing and whether or not you're enjoying the process. Well, Hans Omer of Global Action Plan, thank you very much for joining us on Let's Go Green today. Thank you so much. It's Let's Go Green here in Midlands 103. And I'm afraid that is all we have time for on this week's show. In fact, I'm running very quickly out of time. So I'm just going to quickly say thank you to my contributors. Thanks to all of you who get in contact with us each and every week on the show. And don't forget, if you miss our show on FM on Monday nights at 7pm here on Midlands 103, you can listen back on Spotify, Apple and indeed Google Podcasts. Have a great week. Stay safe and I'll be back next Monday here on Midlands 103.